Many people have problems with art and not with reality. So why is art different? It's pretty simple, right? This is knowledge, this is thinking, this is thought. Yeah, it does something strange with your head. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. Bring it. Welcome to the Undergang Armchair. My name is Ando. All right, all right, we are back again. How is everybody? These are tight times, huh? Sorry about the delay. I've been traveling and otherwise trying to turn a quarter into a dollar with mixed results. But the uh, the good news is that uh, we're taking the show on the road soon. I'll be heading up to Stockholm at the end of next month to talk to some people and visit some fairs, cause some trouble. Uh, more on that soon. Today, we have Ulrich Heltoft on the show. Do you know who Ulrich Heltoft is? In my opinion, he's one of the most interesting artists here in Denmark. And he's also, in his own sneaky way, uh, very influential here. He teaches, working with a lot of young people. He makes art. And uh, he produces some of the wildest things you've never heard about. By his own admission, he isn't very well known here. At least not on a, on a base cultural level. But if you look around, or you look at him on an international level, you'll start to see his name pop up again and again. He is representing Denmark out there. But uh, he doesn't make it easy either. There isn't much information on his website. He does zero public, that's important, public self-promotion as far as I can see. And uh, his gallery here in town doesn't seem to have much information either. But, uh, but all this mystery coincides well with his view of unreality, which is excellent in my opinion. And I'm going to let him tell you about it right now. Enjoy. Was it hard for you to study in English? Uh, in terms of writing and uh, no. reading and all that sort of stuff? No. Um, it was hard to, it's hard to study, but no, it wasn't a language barrier. It was more a cultural barrier. <laughs> how so? <laughs> in terms of art school, how, how it differs between university and art academy right because you started I, at the academy I started at the first. art academy and um which is uh, quite different i mean there's no classes right there's a there's a studio and then you then you start that's it then you have studio visits and you can attend courses at labs and then you can have some more studio visits then you can attend a lecture um, and it's all optional, kind of? It, at the time, it was all optional. I think that in the foundation years, the two, the two first years of the academy as it is now, it's, um, it's quite different from when I was a study student there. So, yeah, that um, was so different than when I went to school. Yeah. And I'm sure it was more like Yale in that case, where it's more the university life, classes with people who aren't art students, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but I don't really understand the model here. Is there a simple way of explaining like what the point is? Is the point to become a studio artist as soon as possible and just make work on your own and then present work and discuss work? 
or is it to learn skills or how is it exactly? I wish I could give you, give you a short, straight answer, but I can't. There isn't one. Well, I mean, the part of the academy tradition is that it's um, it's a master-student relation. It's based on a master-student relationship. So traditionally, the school was based in craft. Mm. And so the, the students would be craftsmen. It would be house painters and carpenters. I don't know. Craft people who would then be very skilled at carving or something and then they would refine that into art and so it was decorative almost decorative but also art architecture sort of in one big pool I think yeah um, and then I guess it divided into more specialized I don't know right more art mm. well fine arts as fine arts or whatever the fuck yeah. you want to call it yeah so I think that's and then you would study with a master so you would have a professor it's a professor and you would study with a professor and the professor would give you a thumbs up or thumbs down mm-hmm. <laughs> something like and that and then you had to deal with that somehow I started with a master student relationship yeah. I was trained as a traditional cabinet maker which makes a lot more sense, I guess, and that's because they're teaching you physical skills. Yeah. They're teaching you, okay, this is how you do this. This is how you do this. None of this stuff is written down, and if it were, you would not be able to um, reconstruct it from, from words into action. You would not be able to, I, get, I mean, maybe you can, but I haven't seen it, any examples of it, but I doubt that you could write how to sand a table. Not well. I guess not. Not enough to be able to actually do it in the first shot. Exactly. So you have to visually, you have to see someone do it and then you can try and imitate that and then you'll do it and then you'll find it very difficult. What looks very easy is very difficult and then you do it and then you do it again and again and again, wax on, wax off. Mm -hmm. And then after a while it seems easy and you have no idea why this was difficult to begin with. Right. And then you show somebody and they go, fuck, that looks easy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, so that's, and so that is a terrible way of teaching <laughs> and a terrible way of studying, I guess, but it, because it's extremely time consuming, Yeah, but it's skill based. And so what art school in a university is like is that you you're in a class and you have discussion and then it's very, it's not very hands on. And that's a very sort of cheap way of teaching because you can have, you can teach 20, 30 students at once. Right. And you but, don't need studio space. You yeah. But in a, in a lab situation, it's a master teacher relationship. There's one master, there's one student at a time. Mm. It's very difficult to have multiple students learn a skill. As you know, when you teach students in your dark room, well, you can only really be focused on one person. Yeah. And so that is a very expensive way of teaching. Yeah. And so that's do. why the Danish art school is very expensive. Mm. That's also why it's very good. Mm-hmm. And there's so few mm-hmm. students. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, so that's the, that's the luxury of the academy tradition as right. an art school. Right. Um, well, what happened when you went to Yale? How was that culture shift hard? Or at least what did you notice? Well, first of all, I had to have to attend class. <laughs> right. You have to be there. I'd have right. to actually show up. Right. And 
And it's not that not showing up is bad. I mean, I guess you have to follow the advice of John Cage of his 10 advices for an art student. And I don't remember any of them except for the last one, which is stick around, Yeah, which is perhaps the best advice. That is such good advice. So you have to stick around, but you may not stick around for class. You may right. stick around for other all that stuff. other stuff. Yeah. And so I'm sure when nobody's in the studios at the art academy that they're doing very important stuff somewhere else. Right. And I could see at my lab that while I'm there during the day, I'll, I'll have students come and go. But I could, I could see it, you know, that most of the stuff happens at night. Okay. So they are working on something. They're working. It's just not right in your face. Yeah. I mean, and that's also how, how I was a student. Mm. Now that I re think back on, well, what was my sort of favorite learning situations? And I think my favorite learning situation was um, breaking into the architecture school and stealing a roll of paper and using the inkjet plotter because I was interested in this digital to analog printing thing and it was called inkjet at the time it was mostly made for architects it would do line drawings and not photographic reproductions so but at the beginning in the late 90s the, these things were hap sort of uh, emerging into iris printing and they, it, it, it had potential yeah. and so That's, that was my f sort of learning experience in that field. Which was self-driven. Yeah. You know, because that's the argument, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I can figure when I went to art school, you could clearly see the kid, the people who did something and the people who didn't do anything. Yeah. And I think the school tried by having mandatory classes to keep people there somehow. Yeah. Right? I mean, they also had a financial incentive to keep people there. Cost a lot of money. The good thing with classes is that... Um, Everybody graduates, you know, <laughs> yeah. nobody really fails a class. If you attend a class, uh, you make a, you make a syllabus and you have sort of, um, a contract between teacher and student. This is what you learn and you have to do this and this and this to pass. Right. And then the student will pass, but not necessarily become a good artist. <laughs> and so... Lots of good artists have come out of terrible art schools. Yeah. And maybe the other way too, I'm not sure, probably. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't know if I really believe that much in art school, but I, I guess I believe in art and I believe in students and the enthusiasm and, and all that stuff. But well, it's a structure, I don't know. Well, it has to do with the sticking around thing. Yeah. Because after you get out of school... There's no classes anymore. There's no, there's no anything that ties you to it. You have to learn to stick around on your own. Yeah. And you have to stick around by either showing up and talking to people or making something yourself and inviting people or, you know, because no one holds you on. You just kind of like get flung out to the edges and somehow you have to like claw your way into something. And that happens just by showing up. You have to show up if you, if you want to be, if you want, um, art to exist you have to show up yeah and i guess that's the for me the biggest hit out of school was that now now nobody's listening right i mean there's no, no one, one has to talk to, to. Listen to you. nobody has to respond to anything <laughs> and so so there's no response you have to actually go and ask people right what do you think right 
What is this working? Is this not working? You have no idea. None. So you make a show. I I remember my first show um, being a terrible experience, actually. The show was okay, but um, no response. Just that, just, just crickets. Yeah, people saying, "Oh, that's great!" <laughs> it's like, "Good job." What? 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah. Um, right. You have to build it yourself. You have to build some sort of something. I didn't realize that until that, not the day of the opening, because it was actually fun and a good party. But then, you know, afterwards, that's just, uh, yeah. Then you somebody bought a piece and. But there's no right now. What there's no what? There's no contact. So it's just like now you put this thing out there and it's right. Yeah. Well, I mean that's the thing also about every time you you open your mouth in art school, twenty other people would chime in. Yeah. This or that or don't you think it looks like so and so or you know isn't it problematic how and you know if someone writes about you in a journal maybe you'll have a little bit of a discussion. Yeah. But. There isn't a lot of art critique that really is discussion oriented now anyways. It's more just like passing on knowledge or, yeah. you know, disseminating somehow. But what happened, I mean, I'm kind of curious why you went to Yale because that's a pretty untraditional choice. Danish students tend to go to Glasgow. They go to St. Martin's. They go to maybe Germany. That's about it, right? Mm. Yeah, I, I was. I was sort of... I was hooked on the art that I saw coming out of Yale. Right. This is the Crudson era, right? I wasn't interested in photography at all. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> were you painting? What were you doing? Um, I started painting and then that didn't work. So I started doing sculptures and then that didn't work. <laughs> and then I started talking and that worked. Talking always works. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I didn't really have a language. I had more sort of an aesthetic uh, interest for art when I was in, studying here in, in Copenhagen. And then, but I really, I really, I, I felt like I did not get the response that I wanted. So I would have to go where that discussion was or that interest was. Mm. And it seemed to be, and especially at the time, the most interesting art school. I could find that's fairly precedent. I mean, as an art student, I was never that advanced. Think about like this isn't working. Should I go somewhere else where it might work better? Since I've already completed one education as a cabinet maker, I knew that time is precious. Right. You don't waste time. So, so for me, the most expensive part of an art education is time. Mm-hmm. It's not that you have to pay tuition. It's that you actually, you know, you you put your life into it. Mm. And so you put your whatever years of, and that's, and you, you you have to stick with it. Of course you could do another education, but that also seems silly. So I guess for me, it was about, about time, a time to go. Yeah. And so I, I felt like I had ringed out every last drop of the, of the art Academy here. And, gotten what I could get from it and as a I guess as a customer in the in the shops of education I, I felt like now it's time to go somewhere else and and I think that for me and especially when I, I hear students complaining out my response is mostly I'm sure something is wrong 
But if I was a student, I would definitely go somewhere else where things were better and fitting my need better. Mm. I'm sure that something could be better here, but it could also be that maybe what you're looking for is better somewhere else. And, and there's all these things that's wrong with the world and with the art schools and <laughs> with everything else. Mm. And it's just, I mean, I'm totally impressed with students who spend a lot of time in student politics, but, um, and it's all great. And now I spend time with student politics as a teacher and uh, right. it's my job as well. And I take it very seriously, but, but, um, it can be sort of, it, you really have to focus on the work. You have to focus on the education and that you get what you, what you pay for with you, you pay with your life and, mm -hmm. and that you have to, when you, when you exit your art school, you have to have enough sort of, um, substance enough sort of practice right. that you could sort of fly on your own. You well, I think age has a lot to do with it too. Yeah. I went to school when I was, uh, oh, 19. Uh, and I think I would have gotten a lot more if I'd gone when I was 29. Yeah. You know what I mean? By the fact that you did an education first, I'm assuming you're a little bit older than when you started. No, no, no. Okay. I wasn't mature enough to really get everything I could have gotten out of it. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't actually until I moved to Denmark that I really started seriously understanding what a practice was and, uh, uh, developing of ideas and, uh, you know, research and all that sort of stuff. It was all like, Oh fuck! Let's just try this thing, you know, and see what happens. Yeah, uh, which I suppose is a fairly good formulation, but it's not very like real life applicable in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, I guess I guess what I see with the students at the academy is that the ones that are a little bit more mature get more out of it, mm -hmm. and I think that's. I mean, it's always tough to make generalizations, but I think this one's fairly fairly okay to make um goes along yeah. with seriousness too how serious you are it also goes along with how serious it is to make the choice of becoming an artist because that's kind of there is no job i had no <laughs> fucking idea yeah. i just knew that there was a bunch of other options yeah. which sounded way worse yeah. you know and it's true there is no fucking job when you're yeah. done with school there's a yawning pit that yeah. opens in front of you yeah. and there's just no view. There's nothing you can find unless you're one of the one out of, you know, let's just say 300,000 who somehow develops a relationship and can show work immediately afterwards. Mm. Uh, you're fucked, especially in the U S when you have, you graduate with, I don't know, 200,000, $300,000 in debt. Yeah. Tell me about it. You got to start paying that back <laughs> on day <laughs> motherfucking me, one. That take took me 10 years. You're lucky. Ten years is not that much comparative to a well, lot I worked of my off yeah, to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's the last thing. I mean, I can understand if you're gonna be a lawyer, a doctor, or some other kind of like stable and high income, it makes more sense that you have some debt, you can pay it off, you got a quality education. But artists are like the the most famous job for not making shit ever. Mm -hmm. And it's it's to cost the same as those yeah. sort of educations. Yeah. You know, and then you chose to leave a free education to go to, to Yale. It seemed to me that, you know, you, yeah, I know. But then everybody's dead serious because every hour costs X amount of dollars. If you, 
if you don't show up for class, you're wasting time and money and yeah. you want to get the most of it. Yeah. And everybody's like working so hard to, everybody wants to make it and wants to make it back. So I guess that's, I like that energy, yeah. at least for a while. Well, there's that's yeah. it's very American, right? The whole sink or swim. Either we're all going to fucking die yeah. or we're going to build this crazy ship, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. I mean, there's also something to be said for the fact that there's like 10,000 homeless people in San Francisco. You know, it goes both ways, but there is some sort of like Viking energy yeah. to, we, we're, we have to do this. Yeah. Um, but what did happen when you left school? There you are, master's student from Yale University. Huge amount of debt. Yeah. <laughs> now what? <laughs> now what? Did you um, consider staying in the U.S.? For a while, yes. Oh. And um, I got a studio shared with a fellow artist. And in like New Haven or? Where? No, in New York. New York. Okay. And I went back and forth for X amount of years, um, thinking that that was a good idea. Um, Many do. Yeah. Um, and then after a while, I just... It seemed like having my stuff in one place could be more productive as as an as an artist. I I could never find my stuff. It would be always in the other place. Were you in Denmark in New York? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, that was tough. And um but it was fun also. I mean it was also in the two thousand one, two, three and four and five and um I taught at Yale as well, mm -hmm. so I had I had a, had an income in the U.S. and I was also um, working for Krabbersholm, the Folkehøj School in Krabbersholm. Oh, right, the school here and in Denmark. So, yeah. so I was doing a little bit of the, this and a little bit of that, and um, for some reason, teaching. I mean, we also talk about education now for some reason, but <laughs> it's like it's a big part of my, I guess my not my work as an artist but my daily practice and uh, it's a significant part of what you do yeah and um especially when i decided to sort of stay home to to stay stay in denmark and live here and build a practice here um there was just no place to go yeah. there was no lab there was no people who would know about these things and there was there is really no tradition for fine art photography so i I went to to um, to sculpture school at Yale. Did not go to uh, the photography line. Although I did study with some of the people there, but uh, I wasn't a student student in photography. Mm. Um, that actually just came after. Mm. And uh, so, so when I decided to live here, I, I just could not make the stuff that I wanted to do. There was just no lab to go to. Um, a lot of labs, but just not any. You know, They're all you're, exactly you're, the same. You're looking at your 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 fine art thing next to a hamburger. <laughs> uh, <there's> a, <laughs> I'm sure that hamburger is fine, but it just doesn't. It's very saturated compared to my black and white prints, and it's just. It's also super glossy, and I like matte, and yeah. so it's like, so so it's just like the the whole language between me and the technicians and the the the, the lab people was just not really. I just couldn't do it. And, right. and so I did had a, 
had some really good experiences with people in New York and also people at Yale um, from teaching there myself. I would meet other teachers and and I could see that all these things were possible to just learn. So I, I started up buying stuff for my own. I just make my own lab. Right. I just do it myself. Which is what I ended up doing too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wonder now if your, if your practice is tied into a relationship to the material and the production of things. That's, it has become sort of a, almost like an archaeological project. Right. Because you have computers that yeah. are 20 years old yeah. and scanners that they haven't made in 15 years mm -hmm. and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And you are the only dude around who has this stuff. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah. You know, it just happens. As it, soon as you start poking around, it just happens. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think my, my interest in technology also came from the, the fact that my grandfather was um, making cameras, designing cameras, cameras that would be taking pictures of uh, Earth from outer space. So, and that was like, so the first satellites to do this in the 50s, 1952, 54 were his designs. And so I sort of grew up with this notion of cameras being more of um, an instrument more than a you know, picture maker. It wasn't a brownie camera. No, it was a satellite thing. Right. And it wasn't. So the fact that it would make pictures was just one part of it. The fact that it would shoot into orbit and not go and into spin a spin around a few times, then shoot out the can of film that would then burn up through the atmosphere, release a parachute, and then being caught by um, in air, like being caught in air by an airplane. Wow. All calculated manually. <laughs> um, so, so they actually ejected the cameras, the, the film, and re-entered them into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. That is crazy. Yeah, they caught 90%. That's what they That's say. That's fucking right? good numbers. Yeah. <laughs> that is really good numbers. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, so there was, so, so all these ideas, I was just, uh, to me, um, was he sharing this with you? Was he talking to yeah. you about it as you, while some you were of it, kid? some of it isn't classified. A lot of it is classified. Right. This project was not classified. Um, this was American. These right? are all American right. projects. Yes. Was he American? Yes. Oh, okay. So it was all, uh, issue issued by the government. Right. Uh, so NASA. Well, basically NASA, but it, all this stuff is also what's used in missile tracking, and so it's it's kind of it's all bad. It's all bad. It's all bad. It's all um, it's the weapon industry. Um, but, big but, investor in technology. Yeah, but then it's also big investors, also big crazy ideas. Mm -hmm. And so, for me as a kid, they was these were just great. I mean, these stories, and um, he also wrote manuals for cameras. So manuals for an astronaut, how to take a picture of the moon. Right. Who had no training. Who had no training in photography, but training in all this other stuff, maybe as a pilot. Not that they would fly the thing, but I right. mean, they, they would, would move, they would get the data and make, you know, make something out of that right. data. So there were uh, astronauts were used to work with instruments. And again, this camera as an instrument, as a measuring device uh, was sort of very appealing to me. So. When I started working with photography in my artwork, it was also with this notion of the relationship between the landscape, the camera, the position of the camera, 
the relationship between the camera and the photographer. Um, and that came from, from these photographs of the moon where the camera was strapped to the body of the astronaut in a given height. And because you have the given height, you could also measure the, the size of objects in the photographs. And so this whole idea of sort of this very conceptual way of working that you, you would have to take a picture no matter what right. the conditions were, though, not based on aesthetics, but based on, let's say, take a picture at every 100 hours or um, look north and do this and that. And then you take a picture and then that's what you get. And so all these things seem very sort of very appealing. Yeah. Uh, so... But that came back afterwards as you began delving more into a, a practice with these tools. Mm -hmm. And did you think at all about representation too? Or is it mostly, you know, because representation is the thing about photography that's often discussed. What does it mean in a post my bare ass world to talk about photography? You know, whatever, whatever the current discourse is, whether it's ways of seeing or, you know, up to uh, whatever that famous essay is called about mechanical reproduction, blah, 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 blah. It's often about representation, not about the actual tools and the mathematics or physics behind the tools or any of that. But then the representation, I mean, that part for me was, um, it's more based in architecture. Hmm. And so, um, I actually originally intended to be, become an architect. That's why I started out with the cabinet making to get a skill. I was too young to go to architecture school anyway, so I'd have to figure something out at least. Mm. Um, and so I guess that representation part was more sort of a spatial thing. Like, um, the first photographs I made were based on this, uh, measuring, um, different measurements. There was a professor at the art Academy, Monch Cook. He measured everything. He measured the, size of um like kitchenware uh, paper stock uh, clothing the distance between the leaves on a tree was he a photographer or was no he... a, he's an architect okay he would just measure these things and he was a professor of measurements and he would send his students into the world and measure the distance between the columns of uh, this church and that church and uh, all these things and then they would he would try to make some universal standards for things like um the Deutsche Industrienorm also tried to make sense of or make certain standards to sort of solve the problem to of quit the all world. that goddamn wasteful uh, everything yeah so um i guess that's uh, the idea of uh, solving the world's problems with standards mm. i don't know anyway i was fascinated by this um, trying to sort of make sense of all these nonsense in a way. <laughs> so, um, so I guess my, my interest in representation came from that and from, from making furniture and from making displays and, um, the actual building, of building something. stuff and yeah, making it and looking at it mm. and see if it works. Mm. Um, the more, Theoretical discussion never was sort of, I mean, it never gets me really high. I mean, I, 
I tend to be more attracted to things that actually sort of has a resistance in the making. It seems to me that a lot of my own ideas and thoughts are perfect when they're incompleted, when they're in my mental sketchbook. Oh, yeah, that picture you have and in so, your head is amazing. Yeah, so so to me, the resistance comes when you try to put that into the world in, the in, in, in some form. And that, that could be as a sound or text or, I don't know, whatever. Whatever you're interested in, I mean, it, but but it has to somehow, for me at least, has to to hit something else. So, um, well, it's that divide from uh, perfect idealized nature of an idea, and then the reality of life shitting on everything you try to do mm-hmm. to make it. Yeah. You know, and it, it is very much a, an experiential result it doesn't it's never what you thought it might be yeah Uh, and if it is you fucked up you had a bad idea yeah maybe you just or or you maybe executed the bad idea in a (laughs) terrible way (laughs) i mean there are many there are many great artworks made from bad ideas sure uh there's also many i mean many artworks that didn't, didn't really have an idea that just sort of happened uh i guess there's always some idea that but but that might be sort of so far away from what you, what you actually did. Well, I tried to be that kind of artist for a while. I tried yeah. to be like, you know, I messed around with street photography. I'll just walk around and see what happens. And I'm fucking terrible at it. I'm awful at it. Yeah. Because without an idea, I don't have anything, really. Yeah. Uh, and that's the hardest part about becoming a uh, quote-unquote adult artist is understanding this relationship between between ideas and production. Production was never a problem, but how do you join that with ideas? How do you use those two things to steer each other? Mm. But that's also the fact that you're a professional. And so if you were an amateur, you could be just smiling, happy, walking around with your camera and enjoying that. But you actually have to deliver something. Sure. People look at you and think, hey, Andreas, what's up? What's up with those pictures? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, if if you were an amateur, people would just be happy that you were doing it. Right. Oh, look at that. Isn't that nice? Yeah. And so... But there's no discussion then. It goes back to that idea you were talking about earlier. Well, I wanted to tell you why I wanted to talk to you about this. Mm -hmm. There's actually one sentence you said, which really brought me here, which was uh, last summer... You were invited to give a presentation at the Copenhagen Photo Fest, uh, yeah, Photo Festival. Yeah, and uh, someone asked a question about something, and your answer was the reason I do what I do is because I hate reality. Reality yeah. is so fucking boring. Yeah, and that just like ping hit right <laughs> in the brain for me because I realized that's the best argument ever for doing anything because. Life is miserable. Life is boring. (laughs) Uh, You know, as one of my favorite comedians says, all you do is you eat your balls all day long. That's all you do. And so you might as well do something that isn't this. Right. Um, Is that like a guiding principle for you? Or is that just a moment I was there for? No, that seems to be the only thing I care about. (laughs) (laughs) Is getting the fuck away from reality. There's so much of it. Yeah, it is everywhere. There's so much real stuff (laughs) all the time. Everybody deals with it. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, like at least, and that's what I think for me, what's, you know, I, 
it really comes, it's something I stick to because it's what got me into it. You know, this is a, I don't, I don't do drugs or anything. I mean, I can just do art. It's, 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 um, it gets me there. It yeah. gets me sort of, um, it gets me away from, from all that stuff that's so like in your face. Standing in line at the bank. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so much like everything has to make sense. And I think what was attractive to me with art in the first, like when I go back and think about why did I become an artist? Why didn't I stick to architecture? It was, it's because of that, because it could not be explained. I mean, I'm attracted to things that cannot be explained. I think there, there is more to the world that we don't know than there is that we know. We know a very, we know very little. But everyone's pretending we know everything. Everybody's pretending, pretending that this is, this makes sense. Do this, do that. Because it's sensible. And that seems to me extremely unattractive. Mm. And so an art is someone innocent. I mean, you can get away with a lot of things and it still doesn't really hurt anyone. And it's, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's also a place where everybody can enter in a way. It's hard to, not everybody can enter, but it's in a way you don't need to go to art school to practice an artist. You don't need to be a skillful photographer. You can be a shitty photographer and you can, have a great career and do things and show your stuff. And it's not about that. And so when that happens, when I see that it, and it doesn't make sense, then I like it. Mm. And the question. Yeah. Why the unanswerable? Question. I don't, I don't, I can't really, I can't figure it out. And it's like when you watch a magician, if you, if you know the trick, it doesn't work. And so, yeah, you need it's magic. I mean, it's uh, it it's that part of it where you sort of uh, you want to see it again. Well, it's funny because I have been often, you know, there's the constant rolling debate about whether art is for everybody and how accessible should it be. And, you know, there's political implications too. there's state run uh, everything in Denmark, you know, everything state run more or less. Uh, you know, they have a bottom line they want to look at. Is there are people coming to see this? Was this for four people or is it for 400 people? You know, because we know the Picasso show is going to break, break every record there ever was. Yeah. Um, and for a long time, I've been kind of like trying to figure out exactly what I feel about that. But at the same time, I don't know why art constantly has to defend itself. Soccer doesn't have to defend itself. I'm sure that the state uses more money on soccer than they do on art. You know, and yeah. they, you know, that you could even make an argument that they're homophobic, racist, sexist, you know, and they don't even have to answer to that, really. Yeah. Uh, so I'm constantly swinging back and forth. And your work, especially, is, is, there's a lot of questions. You know, it is very open ended. And, and, you know, the argument probably would be in some cases that it was, uh, it, you know, it's unaccessible. And that people don't know what's going on. So they lose interest and leave or, you know, do you have any sort of interest in that discussion at all? Or are you just making what you're making and fuck it? I'm making what I'm making. Yeah. And it's not that inaccessible. I mean, you can just look at it. It's just a flower or a portrait or something. You don't have to sort of 
read the manual. <laughs> it's just a picture. No, but the manual but it, tells you something. But you can, if you want to dig into it, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of layers. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to understand a computer to use it. You can try and understand some parts of it, but you could use the interface and you can be happy. But you may also want to go a little bit deeper and just understand some parts of it, why it works, how it's connected, and you can be critical about it. And um, so much of the information that we get is sort of embedded in the media and uh, in the format. And that's sort of the part that I'm investigating, uh, sort of apart from what's on that surface. So there's a portrait of someone that's a flower but then there's also all that other stuff what are these image making machines doing and how does that relate to storytelling and what are these materials all this this stuff and um but you don't have to get into it you can just look at it and you can leave um it's okay and i think maybe only whatever, 500, 1,500 people come and see this show, that show, but then that artwork is going to live for the next 500 years. And, well, if five, 600 people come, well, once a year for the next 500 years, it's okay. <laughs> You're doing a lot I better mean, than a soccer game. Yeah, I mean, it's like it has a long lifespan. And so work that's been made 10 years ago is still, you know, Ballad, right? Um, you don't really do like a rerun of a soccer game, I guess. Very few. Right. I don't know anything about soccer, but I doubt it. Right. It's about another immediacy. So, right. well, that's more about being like we're here together. Yeah. You know, and art doesn't necessarily have that. Yeah. It doesn't have the like, yeah, this is our team. You know, uh, this is what we do. I, I think it's for for me what I do is I, I know that it's highly specialized and it's not really sort of I think it's fun to watch but I know that it's not like that popular it's it, in art isn't that popular I mean you could you could just tell by the numbers that there are 160 art students at the academy in Copenhagen I mean that's divided by six years so I mean it's not a huge thing there. Right. A thousand students at the architecture school, just as an example, mm. it's a much bigger field, and so. Um, well, that in the out of those hundred and sixty, there's only a handful which actually go on to work in the arts. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that they can't be artists on their own accord. They can make art every day for the rest of their lives, and that's perfectly valid. But as part of like a greater thing, so few people actually go. I on. think like for me, it's like. Art is its culture, and so we are defined by this as uh, people in Denmark or whatever Europe. Or I mean, like it's from here, right. so um, it's made here. It it represents you know what we do here, and that's why people like to travel. I like to go to places and experience what that culture is like, um, and. So for me, sort of, um, I like more and more being a Danish artist making work in Denmark. It's made in Denmark. Right. It's made here. It's not a nationalistic idea, but you think about food, you know, new Nordic kitchen. Like, what is that? Well, it's 
stuff that's made with a local like products because they grow here. It makes sense to make these things here because that's where they grow. And that's so interesting that people travel to Denmark to experience this. And there's something to that that I find interesting, that it's not like this homogenic thing. It's, you would have to go to Italy to eat this. It's a tomato. You can get a tomato here, but it doesn't taste the same. You actually have to go there and it tastes better. Bullshit tomatoes. <laughs> so, I mean, that's like, that's uh, things that I enjoy at least. So, yeah. so, um, so it's not part of a discussion necessarily. It's more like a time and a place or even like cultural output. Um, you know, I mean, one of the things I very much enjoyed about being here is that there's a lot less people yelling all the time. If you just talk about that in terms of like, let's just say the art world's a train with a bunch of people on it and we're all in each other's face. There's a lot quieter here. It's, it's the, it's the quiet cabin on the train and that gives you a certain amount of space. And you know, it can also be boring, you know, something we talk about a lot nothing happens here, blah, blah, blah. But I am able to function better when it's quieter. Mm -hmm. As opposed to like New York. I mean, just, just trying to talk to someone who has a gallery in New York is so much harder than trying to talk to someone who has a gallery here. Yeah. Because 400,000 more people try to get a hold of them every year than somebody here. Their rent is higher. Their rent is higher. They, they have financial issues. Mm -hmm. There's no support anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all of those things. But working with a gallery in New York is also... Tough. I mean, I, I work with a gallery in New York, and it's a different thing. Well, it's the it's, <laughs> it's the thing, thing, right? It's a yeah. It's the big. It's still the art capital of the world in, in a lot of ways. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also good. I mean, it has. A, I love it actually. Yeah. But I also love not being in there all the time. <laughs> it's a it's a great place to visit. Yeah. Um, but I think I mean for so so for me just. Just going back to this thing, like, so, so, so art is like, for me, it's like this, um, you have, you, you invest in it. So maybe you don't get a blockbuster show, but, but, but maybe you do after a while, like after a while, maybe it just takes time. And, and, um, I guess all that stuff that I do, maybe some of my students benefit from that and then they become famous. I mean, right. I'm doing great. I have a good life. I make the work that I love to do and maybe that robs off on some students and then they get famous somewhere else and have big blockbuster shows and then, then it turned out as a good investment anyway. Right. And so... I mean, the big blockbuster show, as much as we might lust about that, isn't the goal anyways. It's like you say, the goal is to keep making the work. Yeah. You know, but I would, of course, love to have a big blockbuster sure, show. Sure, sell fucking everything, yeah. make half a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we would all would because, but it's even, like, for me, that sort of thing, yeah, that'd be killer. But it's even just, like, the fantasy goes beyond that. It's more like, and then I have the freedom to make more work. Yeah. I don't have to have these other concerns that come along with being unknown and poor, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, where, you know, so it's like the fantasy isn't even standing there at Metro pictures and shaking everybody's hand and being like, I did it. You know, yeah. it's more like, and now I can, et cetera. Yeah. You know, that's the freedom. 
Theoretically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just read the book by Eric Fischel, the painter, and according to him, it sucks ass to make, have, be that famous on that level, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't know. I would I not tried. either. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, you know, the goal is to keep making the work and yeah. have as few real life reality hindrances mm-hmm. to making the work. Yeah. If you want to make something huge, then it's nice to be able to be like, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Just like you built a lab to make technology that wasn't available, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we have a great system here. We have good support. I mean, it's it's lovely. I mean, I I want to make a film and uh, I get support. Yeah. And I want to make a show and there's people supporting it and, and that's why it's here. And if I did not get the support, it would probably just not happen. Yeah. Uh, so right, you'd have to mortgage your house or yeah, apartment or something. I could just, just see from my colleagues, uh, whom I studied with at Yale, that they're either not making art anymore, or they're in debt to gallerists or whatever. I don't know. Or, and some people are making big money, but and it's not. It just seems like a lot harder to just produce the work. Yeah. And and so it's quite luxurious here i think and it's good i mean Copenhagen might be the best city in the world to make art in in that way mm-hmm. you know cuz as much as people complain about how expensive it is here if you're able to get a housing situation that doesn't break you then it's not that expensive really i mean what i like about it is that there's a lot of i think that there's actually quite a good community yeah it's not big, but it's it, but it's here. It's healthy. I mean, we share things, and you know. So, and my experience from I only have experience from the states, but it, that's just like everybody's busy. So you always have to negotiate something, and so here it's a lot to me a lot more sort of um, a more of an ex- exchange. People help each other. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Although, yeah, that goes, that's, you know, some people don't, obviously. Uh-huh. There's always the exception <laughs> to the rule. But, I mean, that's absolutely uh, important for a lot of artists. And like you say, most artists in the U.S. are about two minutes away from total breakdown. Mm-hmm. So they don't have any extra energy yeah. to help with something. Um, which is exciting, especially when you're young. Yeah. But it, you, you get old fast from that. Yeah. Um, but how do you like how do you deal with the art mafia so to speak i mean the grand the big one not the denmark one but the the international one how do you deal with the fact that as a as a producer of things you are tied to a certain degree of needing to uh, financially uh, engage with that world um most of well i produce most of my work myself and so I'm usually able to take care of myself in terms of production. Mm. And so I depend very little on, on other people, sort of other people's uh, help or funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that helps a lot, actually. Yeah. So it's kind of a quite sustainable system that I have here. Mm. And so um, I guess that's how I deal with it. And uh, What about the monster I, of networking? Um, I know. I remember I talked to you once. You had to, there was some art fair, and you should go. You knew because you'd meet people, and you know, but you really didn't want to go, which it, is pretty common. Like, art fairs are terrible. 
for artists, artists should never attend art fairs, but then you may have to do it because maybe you have some stuff in the art fair and there might be people that you may need to Your gallery probably wants you to come. I, I went to this art fair actually that we talked about and, um, and I was just, uh, in line for, for a big art prize. It was, uh, it was in Turin and, um, but the age tyranny sort of got me because they wanted to give the prize to someone who was um, um, under 35 and they thought I was 34, but they switched the three and the four. They fucked up. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, so that was another, that. another point. Another reason how awful. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, it was a good trip. <laughs> it turns nice. It was yeah. good food, though. And in terms of an art fair, it was a good art fair. It was fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but it's just, uh, I guess with any job, there's there's stuff that you don't really, really want to do. And this is just one part of it. Like it do you see it that pragmatically? Yeah. It's just a job. You yeah. just have to go do it. Fucking mm, then, smile, yeah. shake your hand. Then you uh, enjoy the food and yeah. Yeah. Then you go back. It's true. You get a lot of free food and drinks. Yeah. So you just make the best of it. And actually, what I do like about it as well is that, well, then I get to meet my colleagues from somewhere else. And uh, sometimes even better, actually, is to meet your colleagues from Denmark somewhere else. Right. And of course, you could laugh a bit. Well, now you're, we're all in Venice and we're just meeting, meeting up with the Danes. But actually, it's a chance to get to talk to the people that, well, you just say hi to at openings here. And you actually... I've experienced to really become acquainted with colleagues who I would never really sort of, you know, look up or bump into. Or, right. And, um, and that's quite nice, actually. There's that kind of trench warfare mentality. Well, you're, you're stuck in this, uh, in this uh, cheap hotel in Hamburg with, a, with a three other Danish artists. And you, you, then you, you have to be friends. And right. you realize that we're your colleagues and we, were, and, uh, we have something to to say to each other and uh that, that's that's quite great actually yeah so no that's so, true. so so i guess you really just have to make the, the best of it and it's, it's still quite a luxurious uh life to have that people want to fly you into somewhere and to a cheap hotel in hamburg <laughs> yeah it's like yeah you really have to appreciate it so i i do appreciate it it's but really of course privileged. like yeah, of course I don't look forward to that bumpy ride and uh, <laughs> early flight and all that stuff. Yeah. But um, yeah. Well, what role does ego play in it? Like, you know, I had an art teacher once who, who, who was constantly talking about how you need to have ego to be an artist. You have to think it's worth it because you're going to get a million messages that it's not. You're going to, you know, be before anyone tells you it's worth it. Aside from when you're a kid, when you're, when you're over the age of 16, all you're going to hear is that you're, it's not worth it, you know? So you have to have some ego, but you can't have too much either. Like, you know, and that's kind of the same as going to these art fairs and all this sort of stuff. Like how does, what is ego? You're, you're a, first of all, I mean, you're a one man band, right? You have to make the work, you have to sell the work, you have to do all this stuff. I mean, you're the travel agent, you're the catering, you're the, <laughs> the makeup artist, you're the whatever. You're the secretary. Yeah. <laughs> all yeah. of this stuff. And of course, you can't be good at all of it. True. Uh, but um, yeah, so I guess you have, to, I mean, first of all, it's you have to believe in it. Like You have to believe that, that what you do is important. And 
of course that's narcissistic in some ways, but it's like you have to at least just um, be into it. And you have well, I definitely mean ego in the healthy yeah. sense, not right. in the like uh, I'm the king of mm -hmm. the world sense, but in the like I have to do this because it's important to me and it's worth it. You know, because like, you know, every day of my life, I meet people who think something's really important, but it's not worth it for them to do it anyways. Mm. And they just live in this, to my eyes, fairly miserable existence in which they're like, I really like this thing. Or I would, would really like to do this thing, but I, I, it's just not, you know, I don't have the, whatever reason I don't do it. I think for me, like every day I wake up, I just can't wait to get to the studio or to the academy to do something. I mean, I'm, I'm. I really enjoy it. Yeah. And I guess that's sort of what's, I guess it's like, it seems like it's the thing to do. Like, I'm, I'm so happy that I'm not a dentist or like, <laughs> like, I love my dentist, by the way. I admire him. We have great discussions about art, about teeth, about, oh. you know, all these great things, but I could, I couldn't do it for the, just just thinking about staying in the same room every day i mean for me it's important to have this mobility i i i, I need to move around and i need to have many things going on at the same time um so that's i guess that's what drives the machine it's right. like a yeah and i i guess you, you of course like you 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 talk to people you move around and and it's um I love to hear about other people's work. I, I I like to talk about my own work, and that's the exchange, I guess. And that's, I guess, that's also a big part of the work, is that it's like this. It's a it's it's for me. It's all like a conversation piece. Like all the work is like something to have a conversation about. And for me, I've had so many conversations with the work itself, that I could talk a lot about it. I spend a lot of time with each work. I spend a lot of time, well, making it. Every t everything I do is quite laborious. It takes a lot of time. So, and that means that I know every inch and pixel of it there there is. I know every scratch of it. I know everything about it. Um, and so, from that, I could go on for hours about this detail or that detail or. I probably can't see it all in total because I'm probably blind to it, but, but that's, uh, that's where the, um, ego exists maybe. Right. Uh, but you enjoy talking about it. Yeah. Or, or it, even seeing where it goes, where it goes, I let it go, I guess. Mm. Like once it's out of there, it's out of, of my hands. It's just, it has its life of its own, I guess. And, uh, there's always the next thing to do. Then there's the next thing. And, but, but yeah, I, I mean, like once I get into it, into the, into the mode of, of a piece, then it's, uh, it opens this whole box of ideas and thoughts I had about it at the time. And then I start realizing that, well, those things are connected to what I'm doing now. And it seemed to me to make, um, even though the work is quite in different, they they kind of stick in different, out in different ways. Like they, what connects them is me, mm -hmm. and so 
one piece might be this super crazy slide piece that took two years to complete or this whatever film that was shot in a day but they seem to be connected by this same the sameness i guess i don't know what that means if that word exists but like there's yeah. like there's just like some something and that and it turns out when i put the the pieces together in a show that well that i'm the connection i make the connection you can see it yeah yeah maybe maybe other people can see it at least feel it maybe it's, oh, maybe it's working like homeopathic medicine it's such a small amount but it gives a vibration it's constant yeah, it's, it's just there <laughs> pushing yeah yeah at least that's how, how i think about it and and um and i was i guess back to the art fair i was looking at this this old couple looking at at one of of my works and discussing it and and i was thinking well maybe maybe i got it all backwards like maybe maybe i have to focus more on the elderly as an audience because i could see that their discussion was about the work not about who made it about like what gallery they were standing in all that in. stuff like yeah. they they were looking at the thing and that i was thinking whoa that's what i want like that's what i like about it next and, project for the elderly only well i mean it just seems like like i guess like i guess you have to be quite mature to enjoy it in that way maybe i'm wrong but i was just there was just a thing about this couple maybe yeah that just made me relax it was very sort of comf comforting to know that well I guess I was sort of, I was also joking with my friend about like, this was, this is like the opposite of being a rock musician in a stadium with a, thousands of people in the crowd. And then you, then you discover that they're all 13. <laughs> it's just the total opposite. I have an audience of two and they're plus 75. Right. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's a beautiful moment in, in what is your least favorite context for art maybe in the world yeah there they are just looking at the fucking piece and they don't give a shit about anything else yeah i mean they were they i i, I just imagined that they, they were equally into it as a 13 year old screaming teenager at a beatles concert in like 67 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this was your beatles moment yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful that's great all right well i think that's actually a great place to leave it we've done an hour great thank okay. you so much oh thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the undergang armchair intro and outro music was kindly provided by johnny ripper and today's interstitial music was provided by saber like you can find links to their music and tons of other conversations with great people on our grotto of a website, undergang.net. If you do like the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you'd take the time to leave a review on iTunes so others can find us. This is important. This show is produced in part with the kind support of the Danish Arts Council. Thank you so much for joining us. 